0: Esther's chapter 7 is the point that the entire book of Esther has been building up to. It's the moment where Esther finally asks the king to reverse the decree to kill the Jews. And in this episode of the Following Jesus podcast, we're going to see Esther's big request, King Ahasuerus's response, and what happens to Haman. Hi, my name is David Cipriano, I'm a youth pastor and my goal is to teach the Bible to as many people as possible. We're getting close to the end of the book of Esther in this podcast series, and today's a big day because it's the climax of the story. You see, back in chapter 3, there is a powerful man in the Persian Empire named Haman and all the king's servants were supposed to bow to him, but Mordecai the Jew did not. He refused to bow, so out of revenge, Haman decides to have Mordecai kiss. But when he learns that Mordecai was a Jew, he then decides to have all the Jews killed and he goes to King Ahasuerus, he deceives him and bribes him and he gets the king to sign this order to have all the Jews systemically killed in one day. And so in chapter four, Mordecai goes to Queen Esther and tells her to go to the king to reverse this decree, but Esther makes some excuses. There's some reasons why she feels like she can't do this. For one, she wasn't allowed to go to the king. You had to have an invite to go to the king, and she hadn't been called to him in 30 days. Being the queen of Persia did not exempt her from this rule, and if she went to the king uninvited and unannounced, and if he didn't want to see her, and if he didn't hold out his golden scepter, then she would be killed. So for the queen to go to the king to reverse this decree, it would have been a very dangerous thing to do. But Mordecai reminds Esther that she'll die if she doesn't go to the king. Being the queen didn't really give her any special exceptions, so she would die from this decree if she doesn't go to the king. So she really might as well. And Mordecai challenges her with this. He says, Who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? In other words, Esther Esther, this is your moment. This is your time. God has put you here for this reason, for this purpose. And he challenges her to go to the king. So Esther decides to go with the famous resolve, if I perish, I perish. So in chapter five, she goes to the king and the king holds out his golden scepter, meaning that Esther can live. But Esther doesn't give the big request just yet. You see, at first when she goes to the king, her first request is to ask for a banquet and that the king King and Haman would both come. And at this banquet that she's prepared for the king and Haman, she then asks for another banquet. So the next day they would come to a banquet again. And as the readers, we might be wondering to ourselves, why hasn't she asked the big question yet? It seems like she could have asked whenever she first went to the king. It seems like she could have asked him at this first banquet. Well, in chapter six, there's this great reversal that happens. There's this wild turn of events. Because King Ahasuerus finally finds out that Mordecai had saved his life many years before. Mordecai had heard that people were plotting to assassinate the king, so Mordecai stepped up with his information, which saves the king's life. And years later, the king finally hears about this, so the king decides that he's going to honor Mordecai, and he asks Haman how to honor a person. And Haman, being the selfish, prideful person that he is, he assumes that this honorable person must be him. So when Haman is giving advice to the king in how to honor somebody, he tells them what he wants, thinking that it's going to be for him. And he tells him that this person should wear the king's apparel, wear the king's crown, he should get to ride on the king's horse and be paraded throughout the city. And the king tells him to do this for Mordecai. And the chapter ends with Haman's wife and friends telling him, if Mordecai be of the seed of the Jews before whom thou hast begun to fall, thou shalt not prevail against him, but shalt surely fall before him. And I'm not sure exactly how they predicted this, but they were right. Because in chapter 7, where we're focusing today, we see this happen. So in the first verse of chapter 7, here's what the Bible says. So the king and Haman came to banquet with Esther the queen. And the king said again unto Esther on the second day at the banquet of wine, What is thy petition, Queen Esther? And it shall be granted thee. And what is thy request? and it shall be performed even to the half of the kingdom. You see the time has finally come for Esther and Esther doesn't know what the king's going to say and she's not just fearing rejection or a no answer but she's probably fearing losing her life because this was the man who would have people killed for coming to see him uninvited and for Esther the lives of thousands of people were at stake here but the time has finally come. This is the time for Esther to ask a big question about reversing this decree. And here it comes in verses 3 and 4. Then Esther the queen answered and said, If I have found favor in thy sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be given me at my petition, and my people at my request. For we are sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be slain, and to perish. But if we had been sold for bondmen and bondwomen, I had held my tongue. Although the enemy could not countervail, the king's damage. So number one, we see the request of the queen. And when the queen makes her request, she reveals her Jewish identity. And notice for a second that the king and Haman didn't realize until now that Esther was a Jew. Because if you remember from the early stages of the story, Esther had hidden her identity. And one of the ways that Esther hid her identity was by going by the name Esther. You see, Esther's Jewish name was Hadassah, but she had a Persian name which was Esther. And by calling herself Esther, it meant that people didn't realize that she was a Jew. And when the king was having his contest to see who would be the next queen, it says that Esther had not showed her people nor her kindred, for Mordecai had charged her that she should not show it. You see, being a Jewish person in Persia at this time was a very dangerous thing. And it gets even more dangerous with this decree that's been set in place. And in spite of the extreme danger in coming out as a Jew, she makes her identity public. Esther had been hiding the fact that she was a Jew. She was going by the name Esther instead of Hadassah. She was not telling anybody that she was a Jew, even before Haman's decree. You see, before Esther had been cowardly, but now she's courageous because now is the time to make it public and to tell everyone. You see difficult circumstances command fearful people to become fearless. They force cowards to become courageous. And at first Esther was hiding her identity but now her people need her so she makes her identity known that she's a Jew. And Esther finally asks the question because she was desperate. These were desperate times and desperate times call for desperate measures. And she was so desperate because her entire people group living in Persia were going to die. And Esther knew that she couldn't do nothing. And even if it cost her her own life, she couldn't just sit and watch and see everybody else get killed. And I'm afraid that far too many of us are perfectly content doing nothing. We're just happy to stand on the sidelines hoping that somebody else will step up and make a difference. We wait for somebody else to do something, but we need to do right ourselves. We need to be participating and not just spectators, because other people need us to do something. Others need us to make a difference. And in going to the king, Queen Esther is stepping up. She's putting her life on the line, trying to save her people, because she knows that she can't just do nothing anymore. She can't just sit on the sidelines watching her people get slaughtered. And she says this in verse four, "'For we are sold, I and my people, "'to be destroyed, to be slain, and to perish, But if we had been sold for bondmen and bondwomen, I had held my tongue, although the enemy could not countervail the king's damage. You see, Esther says that she would have held her peace, and she would have stayed quiet if it was just for slavery. But she couldn't stay silent about murder. And she's pleading for not just her own life, but for the lives of everybody else as well. You see, Esther was the voice of the Jewish people, and the Jewish people in Persia at this point were pretty powerful powerless. They couldn't really do much for themselves. And so Esther, the queen, was stepping up. She was doing what she could. And really, God has placed all of us in certain situations to reach certain people, to help certain people, to do our job. And just as Esther had been placed at that time for that moment, we have also been placed where we are for such a time as this. And so number one, we see the request of the queen. This request was to spare the lives of the Jewish people. Number two, we see the revealing of the enemy, the enemy here being Haman. Verse five says, Then the king Ahasuerus answered and said unto Esther the queen, Who is he, and where is he, that durst presume in his heart to do so? You see, the king didn't really know what he had signed with this decree and he didn't know that Esther was a Jew because when she tells him this, he doesn't really know what she's talking about. And here's Esther's reply from verse 6. And Esther said, the adversary and enemy is this wicked Haman. Haman has now been exposed to the king. Esther has revealed herself as a Jew, and she's revealed Haman as the enemy. And remember the foreshadowing from the last chapter, where Haman is told, thou shalt not prevail against him, but shalt surely fall before him. And now this is coming to light. This is now happening in real time. Haman is no longer on top. Haman is really starting to fall quickly here. This is that awkward, horrifying moment when Haman been caught, and he's been revealed as the enemy, and he was terrified here. You see, Haman has had this wild turn of events, and it's ironic because shortly before, Haman was super excited. Haman's been invited to two exclusive banquets with the king and the queen. The king asks him how to honor somebody, and Haman thinks that it's about to be him, but then the tables start to turn. Everything starts to change because Haman has to honor Mordecai, and Haman's already feeling down and he was already telling his wife and friends about the situation and he had been warned that he would not prevail against Mordecai, that he would fall before Mordecai. And Haman probably didn't believe that this was really going to happen, but now it's happening. And when Haman goes to this banquet with the king and the queen, he's now been exposed as the enemy. The queen has called him out to the king and he's been revealed as the villain. And understandably, Haman was a afraid. Verse six says, and Esther said, the adversary and enemy is this wicked Haman. Then Haman was afraid before the king and the queen. And maybe you've been there before. Maybe you've had a secret deed that has been revealed. Maybe you've been in that situation where they now know what you did and you're feeling scared for your life. And I imagine that Haman feels that times a hundred right here because he's not just been exposed and in trouble in front of his parents or a No, this is the king and the queen of the world's most powerful country. And we see here that the king was angry. Verse 7 says, And the king, arising from the banquet of wine and his wrath, went into the palace garden, and Haman stood up to make request for his life to Esther the queen, for he saw that there was evil determined against him by the king. So the king had left the table in the middle of this conversation, and he had went into the palace garden in his anger. And why was the king so mad? Well, for one, it was because of Haman's trick to kill the Jews because he had deceived and bribed the king and the king is now realizing this. When the king had authorized this decree to kill the Jews, he didn't really know what he was doing. So it was presented to him by Haman as these troublemakers who didn't keep the Persian laws. And he didn't even call out the Jewish people by name, but he rather calls them certain people. He never referred to them as the Jews' to the king and he had offered this giant bribe to the king that he feels like he can't refuse and the king has finally realized what's happened. He's been tricked, he's been deceived, he's angry and he probably also feels pretty guilty for sponsoring this decree especially knowing that the queen is a Jew. He had just signed his own wife's death warrant. The king is angry and Haman's been exposed. Haman is really terrified now. Haman is on the bad side of the world's most powerful man and it's especially scary because of how reckless and impulsive the king is with his decision-making and Haman is so scared that he goes to Esther to beg for mercy and Esther really wouldn't have been the best shot to give him mercy because Esther was the one who had just exposed him and you'll notice that at first in the story Esther was desperate and in danger and now it's Haman's turn Esther had been scared about going to the king about making the these requests about trying to reverse this decree, but now it's Haman's turn to be scared. Now Haman has been exposed. Haman's life is in danger. See, in these last two chapters, there's been two different times when the tables have been turned with Haman. In chapter six, the tables were turned between Haman and Mordecai because Haman is honoring Mordecai even though Mordecai had never honored him. Haman is praising Mordecai. He's giving him honor. Now Mordecai is the one in power. Now he's getting recognized. And Haman is the one who's been humiliated. And now the tables have been turned with Esther. At first, Esther was scared. She was feeling timid. She was feeling in danger and probably nervous. And now Esther and Haman have switched places. And I'm reminded of Proverbs 16, 9, which says that a man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. In the story of Esther, Haman was a powerful man, but he was never more powerful than God. God. And even though Haman had been promoted, and he had the king's authority, and he had unimaginable amounts of money, he could not overcome God's sovereignty. Haman couldn't get in God's way. And this is a good reminder to us, because we're not more powerful than God. Sometimes we think that we have it all worked out and planned out, but God always has a final say. And no matter how much we work, and we plan, and we predict, and we assume, we we cannot overcome God. Because man rules, but God overrules, we can devise our way, we can plan things out, but ultimately God directs our steps. And Haman has been planning and scheming and deceiving, but he still isn't able to get his way because God is ultimately in control. You see, Esther had made her request. Haman has been revealed as the deceiver and the enemy. And number three, we see the result of the situation. What happens when Esther makes her request and reveals Haman as the enemy? Well, verse 8 says this, Then the king returned out of the palace garden into the place of the banquet of wine, and Haman was fallen upon the bed whereon Esther was. Then said the king, "Will he force the queen also before me in the house. As the word went out of the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. So when Haman goes to Esther to beg for mercy, he falls onto the bed that she was on. Now this was not a bed like we would picture a bed with blankets and a pillow. This bed would have been more like a chair. Back in those times people would eat their meals in a reclined position and the king just so happens to see Haman in that moment where Haman had accidentally fallen on the bed and it looks really bad it looks like he's trying to take advantage of the queen and to force her. You know, everything over the last two chapters had just been this perfect storm against Haman. Haman had just had to honor Mordecai. He's just been exposed as the Jew's enemy. Now it looks like he's trying to take advantage of and abuse Esther, even though he was really just trying to beg for mercy. Things were way worse for Haman than he ever could have imagined. And so much that's happened before in the previous chapters was in Haman's favor. Earlier on, things had been working out for him. He's been getting his way. He has power. He has promotions. He has money and wealth. And yet now, everything's going wrong. You know, sometimes we wonder, why do bad things happen to good people? But we also wonder, why do good things happen to bad people? Why do bad things happen to people like Mordecai? And why do good things happen to people who are like Haman. And this story is a reminder to us that the bad people don't have it as good as we think they do. Things aren't as easy for them as we would imagine, because we may think that they have it easy, they have it good, they're living a problem-free life, but the grass is always greener on the other side. And even if the evil people have it fine momentarily, it will not end well for them. And this is the case with Haman, because Haman's had a lot of things go his way. But in just a few moments, everything reverses and Haman is now reaping what he's been sowing. He's not getting the outcome that he thought that he would. And we see this end to Haman's story in that Haman was executed. Verses 9 and 10 say this, And Harbona, one of the chamberlains, said before the king, Behold also the gallows fifty cubits high, which Haman had made for Mordecai, who had spoken good for the king, standeth in the house of Haman, then the king said, hang him thereon. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then was the king's wrath pacified. So those gallows that Haman had made for Mordecai, now he's been hanged on them himself. You see, Haman had dug his own pit, which might remind you of Psalm 7, which says, he made a pit and digged it and has fallen into the ditch, which he made. His mischief shall return upon his own head and his violent dealing shall come down upon his own pit. Now, obviously, these verses weren't written about Haman, but they certainly fit his description, because Haman had digged a pit, and he fell into it himself. Haman was his own worst enemy. He had made these gallows for somebody else. He had made them trying to get revenge, and yet he ends up getting hanged on them himself. Back whenever Abraham Lincoln was running for president, a reporter once asked him if he feared any of his opponents. Lincoln thought for a moment and he said, yes, one." And the reporter was surprised because Lincoln had been doing very well in his campaign. And they said, really, which one do you fear? And here's what he said, I fear a man named Lincoln. If I am defeated, it will be by a man named Lincoln. You see, Abraham Lincoln realized, and all of us should likewise realize, that a lot of our failures and our problems aren't because of others, but because of ourselves. And sometimes we are reaping the consequences of our own bad decisions and our own poor choices. Sometimes we're our own worst enemy and we're facing these self-inflicted problems that we brought on our own selves, where we're choosing sin over righteousness. We've been choosing pleasure over purity. We're choosing the temporary over the eternal. And every time we make the wrong choice, we're our own worst enemy. Haman has been making bad choices this entire story and his execution doesn't come because he's a victim or because life wasn't fair or because everybody was against him. No, it was about what Haman had done to himself. Seeking revenge against Mordecai had ultimately hurt him and that's what bitterness and anger does to us. It hurts us more than it hurts the other person and maybe you think that you're going to make your way worst enemy's life, miserable, but let me tell you that you're hurting yourself the most. And sometimes we end up just like Haman because we're trying to get revenge on somebody else and we're trying to get back at them, but we end up hurting ourselves most of all. Haman made the gallows for Mordecai thinking that Mordecai would be hanged on them, but what ends up happening is that Haman is hanged on them himself. You see, Ezra chapter 7 ends with Haman, the Jew's enemy, being executed He is killed on his own gallows and it may seem like this should be the end of the book But there's going to be three more chapters. It may seem like it's all over and that the Jews don't have to die anymore, but this decree to kill the Jews was still in place. This decree can't be changed because it was the law of the Medes and Persians. And just like how Darius couldn't reverse the decree to send Daniel to the lion's den, Ahasuerus can't officially remove this decree to kill the Jews. And while Esther chapter 7 is the turning point and the climax of the story, things aren't over yet. The story isn't done. The job's not finished. And in next Monday's Bible study, we're going to look at chapter A to see how everything changes. So thanks for listening to this episode of the Following Jesus podcast and subscribe for more biblical teaching like this.